0: Christ Church, New Malden, 17th of January 2021, Nathan Larkin speaking on Building Back Better as a Church, Race So, building back better. January does seem to be the right time to be thinking about some of the ways that we as a church might build back better. There's something about a new year that fills us with hope and optimism. New Year's resolutions and a year full of opportunities ahead of us. Now, I imagine some of that has been dampened by the situation that we currently find ourselves in. But a new year often conjures up images of a fresh start, renewed hope and a clean slate to make something different of the year ahead. It's both with this in mind, and the prospect of the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine giving us an, albeit distant, sign of light at the end of the tunnel, that we decided to focus on ways that we might build back better in 2021. What things have we learned from the strangeness of the past year? What have we missed most about meeting together as a church? What things have we realised we can do without And what ways might we seek to return to living our lives in better shape than they were before the interruption of coronavirus? Last week, Katie challenged us to think about what we are most committed to and invited us to refocus our commitment to God, to the church and to each other. During her sermon, she pointed out the fact that times of extreme difficulty like many have experienced over the past year will often highlight the injustices and inequality in our society that we had perhaps been unaware of before. Just this week, we've seen a lot of discussion about poverty in Britain and child hunger. The call to support our NHS staff through a Thursday applause has been replaced with the much bigger challenge of proper funding for equipment and a pay structure that more accurately reflects the amazing job that those on the front line of battling this virus have been doing. For me, one of the most challenging parts of this past year has been coming to accept the ways in which racism, both explicit and covert, continues to infect and shape our society. The most obvious example was perhaps revealed in the tragic murder of George Floyd in America by those who were sworn to protect and serve him, and the eruption of public anger and cries for justice that followed. In truth, this was, sadly, only the most recent tragedy to unite the call for equality. And the atmosphere of mourning and righteous anger that swept the globe in the days and weeks that followed only served to highlight what a massive problem racism still is. Back in April, concerns about a possible association between ethnicity and outcome were raised after the first 10 doctors in the UK to die from COVID-19 were identified as being from ethnic minorities. In the months since, it's been confirmed that there are a disproportionate number of COVID deaths among Black and Southeast Asians in the UK and America. Health authorities have been looking intensively into the phenomenon, but failed to reach clear conclusions. Several causes were proposed. Cultural reasons, lifestyle factors, genetic predisposition, but while it's reasonable to assume that socioeconomic factors weren't likely to have played a major role in the death of those doctors, a general consensus has been accepted that a combination of social deprivation and an increased probability to be working in the lower paid key worker roles is what has led to the increased deaths among these demographics. You see, it's all too easy to spot the sins in other people's lives and ignore our own. We can look at the terrible racism and violence in America and think smugly that we live in the UK. We might even consider the racism that we do know of in the UK and think, well, how good is it that we are Christians or evangelicals? We are so much more enlightened than that. But as a white majority church in Britain, we mustn't be tempted to kid ourselves into believing that we are above these conversations. Racism can be present in both explicit terms, such as verbal or physical abuse, but also in less explicit ways, more hidden and unconscious, what some may term white supremacy or white privilege. We may not consider ourselves racist, yet we inhabit a society and a continent with a long history of racism through its colonialism of much of the rest of the world and forcibly transporting black people as slaves across the Atlantic. And while we might say, well, that was a long time ago, what it has done is that it has handed down an inbuilt whiteness within society, which is still considered normal and dominant. Racism is therefore an unavoidable sin, a wound that at times seems almost impossible to heal. When reflecting on why so many Christians have seemingly been able to completely bypass their own sense of responsibility on this matter, Erna Kim Hackett suggests that white Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney theology. As we read scripture, we are likely to see ourselves as the hero in every story. We are always Esther, never Xerxes or Haman. We are Peter, never judas we are the woman anointing jesus never the pharisee we are the jews escaping slavery never egypt and yet for citizens of one of the most powerful countries in the world who enslaved millions to see ourselves as israel and not egypt when studying scripture is a perfect example of this disney theology And it means that as people in power, we will often have no lens for locating ourselves correctly in scripture or society. She contends that this basic lack of self-awareness has often made us blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage with issues of power and injustice. Now those are some very uncomfortable words indeed. But the question I felt the need to ask myself this year is this. As a white person, is my identity and my character so fragile that I cannot think about issues of race that affect all aspects of our society? If this makes us feel uncomfortable, then as Christians, we should sit with Christ and say, why do I feel uncomfortable about this? We should ask, does this make me uncomfortable in my own identity? And then listen for his answer. We should ask Jesus to open our eyes so we may see glimpses of the truth that he has for us about what we don't see or what we try not to see. What I hope we might do this year as we learn to build back better is to learn to sit with that discomfort and to ask Christ to hold our hands as we walk into a conversation that we'd sometimes rather avoid. But why do we have to look at these issues when we're already so tired from all these other things going on, when our hearts are already heavy looking at such a broken world? Well, because if we do not, then it will still be there in the background. And because ignoring injustice Is completely incompatible with following Jesus. So where do we begin? Well I think the first thing for us to understand is that we need to reject any impulses we might have to say that this is a society problem and that church isn't the appropriate place to be having this conversation. This isn't about making people feel bad. But it is about truth-telling. This is an opportunity for us to talk about the difference between guilt and responsibility, and I think it will really help if we can keep this in mind. This is true of all of those situations of injustice that we face as human beings. There is of course a place for guilt, for apologies and for repentance, but repentance, means turning around and heading in a new direction. And if we're really going to begin to do that, we need to take a long, hard look at what we need to turn around from. The whole of Christian life and teaching has actually centred on this, from the time of John the Baptist standing on the edge of the Jordan River, preaching repentance of sin and returning to God. So yes, church is the place. To talk about this. Jesus' ministry centred in recognizing and speaking the truth, illuminating the truths that people often didn't want to see, and calling people to a new life. Jesus specifically called us away from wallowing in guilt, but promised us that the truth would set us free, especially truth about the things we don't want to recognize. Without telling the truth, we cannot move into the light together. So church is the place to talk about this. As I said, the purpose of repentance is to turn around and to connect again with God and to take responsibility for the future, to agree to learn from our past, to tell the truth about it. But that doesn't mean we have to remain fixed on it or in it. Once we have acknowledged the undeniable fact that there is a problem, we need to begin to listen carefully and sympathetically to our brothers and sisters of colour about what our next steps might need to be. One of the things that I have found most helpful this year has been the challenge to read a wider variety of voices, especially on the issue of race. Two books I can thoroughly recommend are Natives, Akala, which focuses on race and class in modern Britain and the ongoing legacy of colonialism and empire. The other is We Need to Talk About Race by Ben Lindsay, which is a really challenging book that looks at understanding the black experience in white majority churches in the UK. Now they're coming at some of these issues in our society from very different angles, but they're both incredibly thought-provoking. In We Need to Talk About Race, Ben Lindsay, who is a black pastor in a majority white church, tells some hard-won stories of hope and offers loads of practical advice on how we might start these difficult conversations in our churches. It is, of course, a tricky subject, but he holds the reader's hand as he walks them through the trickier aspects of racial reconciliation for Christians. I would really recommend reading it as a starting point on a journey of understanding, and I know that we as a church would be happy to arrange a copy for you if that's something that you would like to read. I'm confident that it will change your perspective, it will get you thinking, and I pray that it will open your heart. But remember, reading a book is only likely to be the first step of a lifelong journey that none of us can in good conscience avoid. He writes sensitively and thoughtfully. Talking about race isn't easy. Many of the white people I talk to are not racist, but they do often struggle to acknowledge their privileges that come with whiteness or have never considered them. He's not trying to produce a them and us mentality but he is trying to start a conversation. We Christians need to talk about race, he says. Just because we aren't able to see racism doesn't mean it's not happening. We need to listen to and trust the assessments of our brothers and sisters who have experienced it themselves. Lindsay describes how being black in a white majority church can be a bit like the first day of a new school on repeat. Your natural insecurities come to the surface. Will I be included? Will I be noticed? Over time, repeated slights, verbal and otherwise, can lead to a deep feeling of isolation and exclusion. He gives examples of othering. That he has observed in churches with a white majority culture he says i have been in church contexts where my clothes physical appearance and music tastes have been highlighted and white people have set the tone of exclusion making their norms the benchmark against which everyone else is judged sometimes i'm othered in words sometimes in tone black people can be made to feel the odd ones out not belonging to the in crowd. He talks about banter and jibes, like the stereotypical oh black people are always late joke, and he shares stories like that of a black woman greeted at church by a white woman who wanted to touch her hair. In church he's heard sly jokes about a black man's muscular appearance, that although he was sure was unintentional, plays into a stereotype of black male physicality and black body politics. Now, you may be thinking, what a minefield. Where do we start? But we must at least be willing to listen to stories like this and be seeking to learn from them. And how do people of colour respond to this kind of treatment? They become less fully themselves in the church context only feeling truly able to express themselves in other environments. He also talks about how, as a black man, he often feels that he is fending off negative assumptions about himself before he has even opened his mouth. The sports clothes that he wears for his morning run to many seem to associate him with criminality, creating a sense of fear for some white people. He describes how he often notices white people crossing the road or holding tightly to their bags as he approaches. I also read recently about the challenges and assumptions faced by people of colour who are professionals, like the GP who describes how she is often mistaken for the cleaner or is asked if she knows when the doctor will arrive, or the young black lawyer who is constantly assumed to be the defendant when he turns up to court in his suit. These are just some examples that position black people as the criminal, the threat, and not capable or worthy of having a top profession. Society projects these stereotypes and limitations onto black people. But in church, where God shows no partiality, we should be able to expect better. Talking about race is very difficult. And we may say the wrong thing from time to time. But for the white majority, we can surely begin by listening to our brothers and sisters of colour, standing with them against racism and seeking to serve them as we can. As we do that, we may finally get a glimpse of the great crowd which no one can number from every tribe and nation, all united in love for the Lord Jesus. While listening is a start, over time as we seek to build back better, we're going to need to become a church that more and more often is confronting these issues and resisting them. We may appear to be more enlightened today than some of those who have come before us, but the structural issues remain. The fact is that the UK has never been a level playing field for people of colour. And the church needs to be conscious of that. Silence is not an option, as silence will rightly be interpreted as apathy or collusion. Does that mean that we should see racism everywhere and talk about nothing else? Of course not. But just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we can't do something. Sitting on the fence is not an option. And nor is it nearly enough to say something like, well, we should just be preaching the gospel. So what does that look like day to day in our churches? Well, as Lindsay points out, it's got to be more than just crossing the room to talk to those of another racial background. Although that is at least a start. Instead, it's got to be actively encouraging those brothers and sisters to participate in redesigning and rearranging the room. He helpfully points out the differences between seeking to be diverse as a church and really wanting to be inclusive. At the heart of Christianity is a desire to reconcile all humanity under the banner of Jesus Christ, which is of absolute importance. But this should not come at the cost of what makes us diverse and distinct. Creating inclusive communities where people of colour feel that they are a valued part of the culture, not just observers, is more complicated. The quest for racial diversity cannot just be a value on a church website. It must be at the heart of all we do and be something that we suffer for. But to pursue racial diversity without inclusivity isn't enough. True integration means being included in and creating and contributing to the church's culture. So, if we are to unlearn racism, if we are to resist it, what kind of church is needed? I think that a good place to start for us is to remember that we are a church as Paul says in Ephesians that must first remember we are Gentiles by birth. Gentiles meant being a people who were separate from Christ, who were excluded from citizenship in Israel, who were foreigners to God's promises without hope and without God. It's not a good place to be but the story of the church is one in which through the grace of Jesus Not through anything we earned. God has joined us to his people. God has reconciled us to himself. Now the dividing wall that separated us has been taken down at the cross. And a new humanity, a new creation has been made possible in Christ. We who would be Gentiles have become citizens and members of God's people. And the gospel announces that it's no longer possible to be Jew or Gentile, but that we are one and the same in Christ. So why is it important that we remember we were Gentiles? Well, because when we don't, and this is one of the tragic parts of the history of the church, we become prone to thinking that we are uniquely special, that we are God's choice that the story of scripture was always about us. We lose our humility and we lose sight of God's grace. Later in Ephesians 6, Paul calls the church to put on the armour of God. The armour of God that loves truth, justice, peace, faith. Where racism seeks to view some people as inferior the truth of the gospel says we are all made in the image of God. Where racism seeks to keep us tribal in our mindset, the justice of the gospel says that God shows no partiality. Where racism leads us to fear and hate those who are different, the peace of the gospel calls us to reconciliation and forgiveness. And where racism seeks to highlight our differences, the faith of the gospel reveals that we acknowledge one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. The church that wears this armour is one that will seek to resist and confront the racism within us and within the institutions and structures of our society. I recently read that the true expression of privilege is the belief that we, the privileged, must never be made to feel uncomfortable. And yet so many others feel uncomfortable almost all of the time. If we feel uncomfortable because of what I've just said about the church, about racism, and about privilege, good. That's an appropriate response The desire to look away means that we do understand at least a little of the negative impact of this. So don't feel guilty about feeling uncomfortable. We should feel uncomfortable. But don't turn away from that discomfort. And don't let discomfort morph into anger at those who name a problem. Instead, acknowledge the discomfort and ask for God's help. The Bible is full to the brim with calls for unity, justice, equality and love. So church is the place to talk about racial inequality. Now is the time to confront it. And as we seek to build back better as a church, may we ask for God's help to open our eyes and soften our hearts and to give us a vision of what his kingdom come might actually look like. But also know that God will never leave us in a place of despair. Because we do not face these problems alone, there is hope. But we need to act on that hope. This is a situation that cannot continue. As a church, we need to become a beacon of that hope. A glimpse of what one day will be. And this really is only the beginning of the conversation that we need to have. If this is something that you have been affected by or something that you feel passionate about, then your voice is going to be important and we want to hear from you. But I'm going to finish with this quote from St Augustine of Hippo, a black North African bishop who challenges us, hope, has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger that things are the way they are and courage to see that they do not remain as they are.